You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So last week, I began to minister on uh, and being an apostolic people, and uh, I was had hopes of finishing it in one week. And uh, when Liz saw my notes last week, she's like, "You ain't gonna finish that in one week." And she was right. The prophet spoke, and she was right. Uh, but this is something that's really near and dear to my heart. And, and and really, the the idea behind sharing on these things is to give understanding as to who we are uh, as a people and also who the Lord wants us to continue to move in and advance in as a people. And so really, when you go back and you look at the, the church and the early church, uh, it looks a lot different than the church as a whole that we see today. And I don't mean that to be critical at all. And I don't mean that it's different because we have sound system and we have carpet and air conditioning. I mean, it's different because of the produce, the fruit of what we see as a whole in the church today versus the early church. And I know that not every, every meeting, every time you come together with people, that it's going to be this explosive, miraculous time. You know, a lot of times you come together, it's just, you're just loving on each other and fellowshipping together and encouraging one another. But there should be a higher level of supernatural ministry amongst the church and with the church and with God's people as a whole than what, than what we're seeing. And so, I, I just got messed up by God. He just messed me up when I got younger and got filled with the Holy Ghost, and I couldn't believe for here anymore. I wasn't satisfied with here anymore. It automatically just propelled me into, Lord, there's so much more available that you have that I'm going to begin to seek you and believe you for. The Bible says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know about you, but I love God. And so the natural mind can't comprehend the things of God that have been freely given to us by God. And if you go on and read that, it says that, but that he reveals them to us through his spirit. So our goal in life is to become more, as believers, is to become more in tune with the spirit of God. The Bible says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The difference between being carnal and being spiritual isn't living in sin versus not living in sin. It could be that, but it certainly isn't limited to that. The difference between being spiritually minded and being carnally minded is thinking like God versus thinking like a mere man. Everybody has the natural ability to just think like a man and be inundated with all of the surroundings and become uh, become heavily influenced by the world around us. Everybody has a natural bent to, because we came into a world that's fallen, to just live as carnal people. But it takes intentionality on our part in relationship with the Lord to step into thinking like God, to step into thinking like spiritual people. You know that you are made in the image of God. You're made in the likeness of God. And what that means is that your outward man, like if you could see God, but nobody's seen God at any time, but if you could see God, if we could see God, he would have a head he would have two arms, two legs, uh, a torso. 
and I think maybe a beard, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But uh, he, he would look similar to us in that, in that sense. So we're made in his likeness and his image. And his image is speaking of, from what I understand, um, it, it's, it's reflective of our outward man, what we look like. But his likeness is dealing with who we are on the inside. Your innermost man is made like God. And Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Why did he come and manifest himself, be made known in the flesh? Uh, a, first and foremost, it was to be the savior of the world. And he certainly, he certainly is that. But Jesus also came and he was an example to us, not just of how to live. And I think that's where a lot of times people get caught up on like, we need to be like Jesus. Well, I agree that we want to we walk like Jesus walked and talk like Jesus talked. But we need to, if we're going to do that and more, we need to do uh, the things that Jesus did. And Jesus didn't think, even though he was a man, he was also God in his spirit. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. Uh, even though he was a man, he thought like God. He knew the nature that was on the inside of him. And he was the firstborn among many brethren, meaning that the way that Jesus was, we also were supposed to be because we have the same DNA flowing through our veins that Jesus had flowing through his veins. Everything that Jesus did, everything he said, everything he walked in, the miracles that he walked in, all of that is available to us. So we're supposed to be a people that are believing God, that are, have an expectation of more to take place in this life. The, the, the Christianity is not supposed to be an accessory to a difficult life. It's supposed to be the thing that empowers us to live like Christ. In the early church, they were called Christians. And the reason they were called Christians, that didn't come out in, you know, when Paul's or John's writings where they said, hey, we're Christians. That was the, the pagan people and the heathen people and the people that hated Jesus and they hated the ones that preached in the name of Jesus. They called them Christians as a, almost a derogatory term. Like, oh, you Christians, you're just like that Christ that you're preaching. I don't know about you, but I want someone to call me that derogatory term. I want somebody to look at me and say, you represent Jesus really, really well. Not only in the way that I walk and that I talk and that I love my family and that I lead my church, but also in the miracles, also in the supernatural, also in the power of God. Why? Because Jesus walked in that and so did his early day church. And I believe that God's called us to be that people. So how do you bring definition around that? I believe it really is, is one way you can say it is being an apostolic people. And here's the thing is that, and I've mentioned this many times before, and I'm just going to say it again because it, it bears repeating, is that uh, the term uh, apostle, in fact, as a matter of fact, let me give you the numbers. The term uh, apostle is the Greek phrase apostolos, all right? Who, who in here believes that the, that the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation is our example and where our understanding comes of what the New Testament church is supposed to look like? Let me just see a show of hands, a true show of hands. Most everybody in here, a few of you maybe are on the fence, but or you just don't like raising your hand, either one. But here we go. The word apostle or apostles um, is the Greek phrase apostolos, and it is... Uh, and I always quote this, and I thought I'm going to get the right, the right number, so I say it right. It is listed in the New Testament 81 times. 78 times it was translated apostle, two times messenger, uh, and then also he that is sent one time. 
Now, the word um, that we use for pastor uh, is the Greek word poimen, and it was translated shepherd 15 times, shepherd two times, and pastor one time. And so I'm going to just set the record straight because some people say, well, I don't, I don't think you're really for pastors. No, I'm very much for pastors. It says that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I believe in all of the fivefold ministry for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But to my point, we have this huge weight on pastoral ministry and the church as a whole, and we've had no under, not even any understanding, much less application of what apostolic ministry is. Uh, pastors make people pastoral. Evangelists make uh, people evangelistic. Teachers make people teaching. Uh, it's, it's not a word, but you know, they make people have revelation from heaven. We could say it that way. They bring understanding. Uh, prophets make people prophetic. So then apostles make people apostolic, right? I mean, does that, does that make sense to everybody? So then you go, well, what in the world is an, uh, what is a, an apostolic people? And I think you have to qu- ask the question, what is an apostle or what does an apostle do? And, uh, you, and I'm not going to go through all the fivefold ministry, but let me just say this about apostles, is that apostles are both covering and foundation. They're both the roof and the foundation. They bring covering and they bring support. And what we've seen over the years as far as any kind of understanding about apostolic ministry is that uh, it's just this covering and everybody needs to come under and everybody just really needs to bring honor to the high apostle. And that is not the right view of what apostolic ministry is or any kind of ministry for that matter. And I believe apostolic ministry is a, is a, is a covering for multitude of ministry and people, but it's also a foundation. I'm going to give you some biblical proof of this. It's a foundation for the church and if the Lord had not given apostles in the beginning, the church would not have been, been established because an apostle is a sent one, and a sent one goes to establish to make that new establishment represent the establishment that he came from. And so an apostle is one that was, in, in those days, and it's true today, is one that was sent from heaven to whatever regions of the earth. You all didn't know that I came straight from heaven, did you? Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a heavenly gifting that's placed upon people to go into whatever region they are sent to make that territory, to make that region, to make that people be an apostolic people. And when apostles come in with foundation and apostolic ministry brings foundation, it's foundation for what? It's foundation for truth, it's foundation for what's right and real, but it's also foundation for all other ministries. And there has been this, this huge gap uh, in the church as a whole that I, I believe has left an extreme disunity and people fighting for uh, position, fighting for their ministry being the biggest, fighting for you know who's going to get the money, fighting for whatever. And I think it's because we've had this huge emphasis on what man is interested in doing versus an emphasis on what God is wanting to have done. Because there's always provision for what the Lord wants, but there's not necessarily always provision for what man wants. Pastoral ministry, evangelistic ministry, uh, and teaching ministry largely focuses on the needs of the saints. 
prophetic ministry and apostolic ministry, you could say apostles and prophets, are focused on what is going on in heaven and bringing it to the earth. If you cut off the prophetic and the apostolic ministry, you cut off the supernatural flow of God into the church. I don't know about you all, but I want the supernatural flow of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's pull this up here in verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3 and 10, and this is some, um, this is some scriptural precedent for the fact that, uh, that really Paul laid a foundation as an apostle. It says, according to the grace of God which was given to me. I think there's two ways that you could look at this. It's possible that both of them apply. One is the grace of God, the, the, which is the gospel, that he was saying according to the gospel. But the other thing, and the more I read this, I, I, I tend to lean this way, that it was because of his gifting, because gifting comes by grace. You know, you could say the gifting that you have on your life is because of the grace of God that he's given to you. And so you could look at it that way and say, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. And so he was saying here, I really believe that as an apostle that he laid the foundation in the church, and you can read in his letters, you can read how he brought understanding, he brought foundation, he brought uh, things concerning the gifts, he brought unity, there was foundation that the apostle Paul brought there, and then there was also a covering that he offered to the church. And I believe both of these things have been missing from the church. And I've just kind of put two and two together that I think the reason the church is in so much trouble is because apostolic ministry has not been a part of it. And so it's the foundations have been, uh, been shaken. And I mean, we have, I, ha I know people that you can't hardly even, you can't even hardly say things like in some circles, like abortion is murder. And now you're the bad guy. And it's like, wait a second here. You can read all through the word of God. And I always say this, I've got tons of uh, mercy on people that have uh, have had abortions and stuff like that. Maybe we minister. Uh, Wendy's not here, but Wendy's got a whole uh, ministry of helping women in those situations. We've got tons of mercy there. But abortion's still wrong. Abortion's still murder. Why has the church in many circles become inundated with the nonsense of the world and has actually accepted the idea in many cases that abortion is okay? I believe it's because the foundations have been destroyed. Why have the foundations been destroyed? Because the ones that are called to lay foundation have been totally removed from the church. When's the last time you heard anyone talk about apostles or apostolic ministry? You don't see it. You don't hear you do you guys do because we talk about it here. You know, but it's something that's been totally missing from the church. And so we have the church that has started to get sucked into the things of the world and instead of being a counter uh, counterculture to the culture, it's become sucked into the culture. Amen. And so God wants us to be able to have a proper foundation. Psalm 11 verse 3 says this, and let's pull this up here. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I think that's a legitimate question. And I would ask that of the church today, if the foundations are destroyed, what in the world are we going to do? As soon as we lose our, our basis for what truth is, anything goes. I just got done writing a book called The Supremacy of the Word. And in this book, I talk about how that the church has lost its true source, its plumb line for truth. And that it's re it's really, it really is the truth. But if, if a person or a family or a church 
has, has something that's a basis, which should be the word of God, has that thing for the basis of what is right, what's true, what's accurate, what we should be allowing, what we shouldn't be allowing. If that thing is the word of God, if it were the word of God in many circumstances, we wouldn't be falling into a lot of the traps that we're seeing happen in the church today. And I believe it's because apostles have not risen up and taken their places. Uh, and because of that, we've seen foundations of churches and of families and ultimately an entire nation, an entire world that has been inundated with the garbage of the world. And instead of being a light, they've been sucked into the darkness. We need to have the foundations brought back. And then when all of the nonsense of the political arena, all of the things that the political correctness is going on, there also needs to be a covering to where the shield, that there's a shield and a covering for the church to not have that garbage come into the church. Praise God. And let me just say that we always love people. And this is the whole thing is that our language has been hijacked. We'll, we'll tell people actually homosexuality is wrong. I'm not afraid to say it. I have a lot of people. I offend a lot of people. Online, I love you, but anyways, you know, uh, not but, I love you. And anybody, you know, I offend people by saying those things. But if people are offended by what God says, that's not my business. I'm going to stick to what God's business is. I love homosexuals. I don't love their lifestyle because it's not of God. It's, it's dangerous. It's, it causes problems or whatever. But where's the level of truth? Where is it? And people have been too, there's a, there's a higher reverence for the and more fear of man than there is a fear of God in the church right now. And we have to reestablish a fear of God within the church. And if we don't do that, it's anything goes. And so, you know, we have to walk in love with these things. And I was going to say that they've hijacked our language because we'll talk about love, 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 and God loves us. And then we'll say, well, homosexuality is wrong. And then they take that and say, well, what you're telling me is hate speech. No, it's not. It's love speech. You just don't like what I'm saying. Sometimes when people that get, they, they get offended and they say, you're judging me. And really, they're, they're not being judged. They feel judged because the word is telling them this is right and this is not right. And so they say things like they're being judged when the, the, the problem is they just don't like to be confronted with truth. We live in a day where we need to be confronting people in love with the truth. Praise God. Oh, thank you for those amens. I appreciate it. So um, I'm a little down a road that I need to come back so that I can continue on what the Lord has for me. Y'all with me? Are y'all with me? Some of you are with me. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we need to make sure that our foundations are secured up. And I believe that's what, um, see, it's not just about one man standing up and touting what is true. It's about people getting an understanding of what is true and in becoming that people. We're supposed to be a, pastor, a pastoral people. We're supposed to care for people. You know, if all you have is like, you know, I've been, I've been around churches that are, say, highly prophetic or highly evangelistic, and they have no pastoral care. Those, are, those people are mean. You know, they don't mean to be, but it's like, you know, especially with like real strong evangelistic people, it's like, you know, why are we sitting down in here and we need to be out and all of the money needs, all the money needs to be going to reaching the lost. And it's like, well, once you reach them, Jesus said you need to disciple them. So that's, that's pastoral ministry. That's caring for people. Amen. So, you know, you have to have all of it. And, and we're supposed to be a pastoral uh, people. We're supposed to be a prophetic people, an evangelistic people. 
uh, and a people that have revelation because the teaching, anointing, and gifting is there, but we're also supposed to be an apostolic people. Let me catch you up quickly in this list of 12 things. These are uh, 12, what did I call them? Attributes, thank you, of what an apostolic people looks like. Number one, I'm going to list these off and then get to the second half of them quickly. Number one is that apostolic people uh, keep covenant as paramount. And so they're not there because they agree, but they're there because they're family and they honor and value covenant. Let me pull up this verse real quick. I want to hit this one in particular just for a moment, and then I'll move fast through the other ones. John chapter 17, John 17, and we're going to look at verses 20 through 23. Let, let me show you the heart of God, what God thinks about people being unified. And how many of y'all know that Jesus was the greatest apostle that ever lived? And this says this, and I think it's in Hebrews chapter I think it's Hebrews chapter 3. It's, it calls him the high apostle of our faith, and certainly he is that. And it says, I do, not, I, uh, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, this is Jesus speaking here, verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. What an incredible thing that Jesus is praying here. He didn't say that they would all be the same but he said that they would all be one. They would be unified. They would be combined. And that the world may believe that you sent me. What an incredible reality. Let me read that whole verse again. And this is his prayer, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also, speaking of his disciples, speaking of the ones who would believe upon him, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You, you, you want to know what's, what's going to bring, if I could use the word conviction to the lost, that what we have is real, is when the church is one. Because that is the highest mark of, of what we can show that we really know God. Because if we say that God loves and God loves the whole world and he loves people and he loves the church and he just loves everything because God is love, which is all true, and then people bicker and fight amongst each other, the world is not impressed by that. They're turned off by it. They have enough bickering and fighting and stuff that go on in their own life. They don't want to come into a church of people that they view as religious hypocrites. And in part, in some cases, they might be true. They might be accurate. That might be the truth. Because if we claim to know the God of love but can't walk in love with our brothers and sisters, we've missed the mark somewhere. So apostolic people keep covenant as paramount. Number two, they, uh, they pursue unity while celebrating diversity. Uh, number three, and that doesn't mean a diverse uh, forms of sexuality, amen. I just want to say that really clear. There's one man, one woman meant to be together and Whatever your plumbing is, that's what you're supposed to stick with. Uh, number three, you don't know if you're a woman, check your plumbing. You don't know if you're a man, check your plumbing. All right, number three um, is that apostolic people live in the realm of having faith for the impossible. And this, is, this means that we should live with a supernatural contentment as well as a supernatural dissatisfaction at the same time. At the same time that we're satisfied... Just right before worship, I leaned over to Ron and I said, he's the only thing we need. We don't need anything else but Jesus. He said, just maybe more of him. I said, 
yeah, we'll go with that. A little bit more of Jesus manifests in our life, but we don't need any more than that. And so with that, we're so satisfied, we're so content, but there should, there should be a dissatisfaction for the level of the supernatural manifestation of heaven in our life right now. Not because we don't think God's enough, but because we know we can walk in more of what God has. So apostolic people also pioneer new works. That's number four. Number five, they celebrate the opportunities of others. Amen. There's no room for jealousy in the house of the Lord who are uh, people that are tied to God. Number six is that they gather, apostolic people gather in sin. All right. So that was all catching up to where we're at. Thank you for that 20-minute introduction, and here we go with the message. But we're going to go through this uh, all the time it takes me. Uh, Number seven, here it is. Apostolic people appoint, empower, and support leaders. They appoint, they empower, and they support leaders. This was something that came to our attention a a couple of years ago, really probably a year ago, uh, really strongly, is that there's a difference between giving somebody authority and empowering them to be able to walk in the authority that you've, you've given them. And if somebody has authority, but they're not empowered, then they'll end up having a lot of frustration. And so we're supposed to appoint leaders. And I think that uh, as a whole, that's left for the presbytery as what it would be known in the church, the, the leadership of the church. They're the ones that are, are anointed and appointed themselves to appoint leaders. So not anybody can just appoint themselves, but there's leadership there that is there to appoint leaders. Um, and then we're also supposed to empower and support them. Sometimes in some circles, in some places, um, where I've seen and been involved in is that there was an appointing for leadership, but it was only to bring up as high as the person that appointed them, but never any further. The goal with real apostolic ministry is to have the heart of Jesus for the ones that you're raising up. And Jesus said, the works that I do will you do and and." even greater works than these will you do. The heart of Jesus in ministry and in an apostolic people is to raise, is to send, to bless, and to promote as high as those people can possibly go. Hallelujah. Number eight is um, an apostolic people establishes heavenly culture even when it violates institutional norms. So an apostolic people establishes heavenly culture even when it violates institutional norms. And I've been dealing with this for a long time. Uh, I've, I, I'm always just really, uh, and at times, it probably could have been applied to me that you're too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good <laughs> because I just really care about what's going on with heaven and the culture that's in heaven. And so, again, an apostolic people establishes heavenly culture even when it violates institutional norms. There's things that, and, and I just, I don't want to say I wear it as a badge of honor, but I'm just okay when people walk in and they're like, this place is weird, you know, and, and they're, but they're like, I like the way it feels in here, but you guys are kind of strange. You know, we've heard things like that over the years, and it's like, it's like it, it, it feels good, but because it feels good, it doesn't feel like normal church. There must be something wrong with it. Or you could say that maybe a group of people have just been so hot and heavy in pursuit of Jesus for so long, they've actually started to become like Jesus. And, and the whole thing about bringing heaven to earth has become somewhat of a reality with those people. I mean, if we're going to pray something, if Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner, 
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wasn't saying pray, pray something just to fill the room with hot air. He was saying pray something because when you pray that, you're coming into agreement with what the Father is saying. And Jesus knew what it was to come into agreement with what the Father said and did because he said he only did and said the things that the Father told him to do and told him to say. So when Jesus gave the instructions to the disciples, and really it became the disciples' prayer at that point, he was saying, you need to pray that the atmosphere, the reality, the culture of heaven becomes a reality and atmosphere and culture here on the earth. That's what apostolic people do. I know you've heard me say this before, but it's very important. The term uh, apostle or apostles came from the Romans during that time. And when Jesus looked at his 12, especially the original 12, and he said, okay, you've been my disciples. In essence, this is what he was saying. And then they became his apostles. Why? Because they had been with him and experienced heaven on earth for three years. Come on now. They experienced heaven on earth for three years with Jesus. And then he said, now you are my sent ones. And the best wording that could be used in that time to depict what those sent ones looked like was this term apostolos. And the apostolos were the ones that were in the Roman culture. And whenever Rome would go and conquer new territory, they would send the apostoloses. <laughs> Using some liberty there. They would send their apostles, okay? And they would go for what purpose? Because the territory was already conquered, why were they going? They were going so that the new territory that was conquered would begin to look like the kingdom that sent them there. So then I walk in here, and I walk in my office, and I walk in my home, and I'm around people, and everywhere I go, I'm going, Lord, where has heaven not invaded yet? And if heaven has invaded, to what measure do we need to increase today the reality of heaven in this situation? Because that is exactly what Jesus did when he was here on the earth. That's why he could look at somebody that was blind and say, that's not been touched by heaven. Because there's no blindness in heaven. He could see somebody that was deaf and he would be moved with compassion. Why? Because there's no deafness in heaven. He could... He could see somebody that wasn't walking or you could name any kind of thing or somebody that just, they just needed loved on. They needed to know how good the father was, whatever the situation. And he would find a way to stretch out himself and the reality of who he was and the one he was in contact with and bring that to them because he believed that it should be on earth just as it is in heaven. When this doesn't happen, heaven's best is sacrificed for the sake of earthly norms. When we don't establish heavenly culture, heaven's best is sacrificed for the sake of earthly norms. I don't want to get to the end of my days and the Lord say, you did the very best you could, Kent, in your own strength. I want him to say, you did the very best you could, even with people looking at you cockeyed, even with people not having an, uh, really understanding 
what you were saying. Even with people that called you all the things that they called you, you did my best because you followed me. And you were more interested in what heaven was interested in than what earth was interested in. Come on. It's... I'll repeat. It's, it's no problem, Siri. I, I'll repeat. <laughs> it's funny because I was just getting ready to say it in a different way, so it's, it was of the Lord. That's good. Praise God. <laughs> Sometimes, I, most of the time, I think when phones go off, I'm like, yeah, you need to silence your phone, but that one, that may have been heaven right there. That was, that was good. <laughs> You know, there's, there's, this, um, there's this delicate balance that has to be held with, with believers, with us, that we, in one hand, we hold this in, um, importance of revelation through knowledge. We would call that revelation knowledge. But then, on the other hand, we hold this extreme importance for revelation that comes through experience. And God desires that we have both. And the, the epitome of having knowledge without experience is that it cheapens the knowledge. And people can pray these prayers about uh, wanting heaven's best, this, that, or the other, but there comes a point when we just have to say, well, Lord, I, I'm not going to be satisfied without it. it it'd be almost kind of like if you had a child and, and that father told this child, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're loved their whole life. They had a knowledge of the father's love, but the father never played baseball with them, never took them fishing, never gave them any physical touch, never did the things that fathers would need to do so that their child could experience the love. God works in both realms. He wants us to experience and encounter him, but he also wants us to have knowledge of him. Experience without knowledge will make people flaky. Knowledge without experience will make people dry. And the Lord wants us to have the combination of both of those things. This is why the ministry of the word is so important, but this is also why worship and praying and prophesying and loving on each other and laughing are so important. All of the things that the Lord wants to manifest. And you know what? If it's the reality of heaven, thank you, Jesus. If it's the reality of heaven, I don't care if it goes against institutional norms. Who is any man or institution to ever stand and say they have something compared to what God says that he has? Who, who is anybody to do that? I have too much fear of God in me. I'm not afraid of God, but I have a reverence for God for the, that I, I have to answer to him for what I did here on this earth with, with his people. You are not my people. I call you my people because you're my people, but really you are his people. And I take that job maybe more serious sometimes than I should. I don't know. I don't think you could take it too serious, but it's serious business. And I'm, I'm never interested in having, and none of us should be, even with our own families, even with our own families, you're responsible. You're the, you're the, you're the, the priest and the apostle of your home. You have a responsibility to bring heaven to your home. Don't be satisfied with, 
with the normalcy of what life has to offer. Be bold and turn the TV off. I'm not, I'm not against TV. We, we watch shows and things that we enjoy, but it's got to be in moderation. It doesn't, it doesn't dictate the culture of our home. We do underneath of heaven's covering. Turn the TV off. Get out, of, get out of book and do a study with your, your family. Start to pray. I, whatever it is, you be responsible for the culture that's in your home. Because in your home, you're an apostolic people. Thank you, Jesus. I don't, I don't want to sacrifice heaven's best for earthly norms. Number nine, you all with me? An apostolic people make the gospel really clear. Have you ever been somewhere before to where... And I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm just trying to take what the Lord's shown me. And I'm not, I'm in no way critical of, of other people. I, I really am not. I love the church. But have you ever been somewhere to where you really weren't certain what they, what they said was required for salvation or what they believed was required for salvation based off what they said? It just wasn't clear. How many of y'all feel really clear from being here what's required for salvation? It's simple. You put your trust in Jesus and that's just the end of it. You put your trust in him and you're saved. And an apostolic people will make the gospel very, the gospel message very, very clear. Because after all, that's why we're here on this earth. Which is why if you have an evangelist leading the church, you usually don't have great praise and worship, but everybody hits the streets and you win people to the Lord, and you often miss discipleship and things like that. But you know what? If you don't have evangelist and evangelistic ministry, people come in and they're like, we just love Jesus. We just love Jesus. Yeah. And they go out and they do nothing. This is why we need all of the things working together. Can I get a big amen? So number 10, all right, number 10 is that an apostolic people confronts heresy in the realms of both conduct and doctrine. They confront heresy. Now, there's a way to do this in love, and there's a way to do this not in love. Um, I, don't think every, I don't think we need to be running around telling everybody that, that they're wrong and their way is wrong, that kind of stuff. But when it comes to what's going on in the world, Real, true people that are called by God, that care about what the Lord cares about, and they have that plumb line of truth, they're willing to stand up and say, actually, that's completely wrong. What you're saying there is completely wrong, and let me give you, my Bible's down there, but let me give you some word to back up why I believe and what the word believes that what you're saying and doing is wrong. Again, otherwise, if we don't do that, people get thrown to the left and to the right. I had a lady uh, not too many moons ago... um, that she came to me with serious questions and she was telling me and she had had some influence from some mysticism and some very just different uh, yoga-ish kind of stuff, which I probably just opened up a can of worms there. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of yoga because its roots aren't good, but whatever, stretch however you want, I guess. But anyways, um, anyways, she was involved in these different kinds of things and uh, she was trying to wrap her mind around truth. And I was able to go to the, I, I just looked at her and I said, what you're believing is totally wrong. And I, there was something that rose up in me that said, you need, you need to tell her. And she was asking. See, if someone's not asking, you probably, you're going to tell them something. They're going to be like, whatever, dude, you know. But she was asking, she was wanting to know. But I confronted what she was believing was absolutely heretical compared to what the scripture said. And you know what? She received it. And she's growing and maturing, and she's got great things that are happening in her life. There's benefit that comes from confronting. And that's oftentimes how you know whether you need to confront something or not. Is it going to bring benefit? Do it. If it's not, be careful and tread really lightly. 
but we need to be able to confront heresy both in doctrine. And see, I welcome people. I have people screaming from the rooftops, heretic, false prophet, what you're saying is wrong. I mean, just all this nonsense. And me, me and Liz are over here just loving life and loving Jesus. It's like, what, whatever. And by the way, who died and made you God? But they don't ever show me any scriptural precedent for all of the heresies that they claim I'm operating in. And I would be more than happy to sit down with anybody that wants to say what you're preaching is wrong. Show it to me from the word and I'll back up gidgads of verses because I take standing here very, very seriously. I'm not saying I couldn't be wrong. I'm not saying I couldn't misspeak. But if you're going to call somebody a heretic, you better have something. You better have some, some mustard to back up the nonsense that you're saying. All right, anyways. So it's not our job to go around, you know, calling people heretics and stuff like that. That's just, that's just, that, they did that to Jesus. I would be, I would be more, I wouldn't want to be in those shoes. If I felt like I need to call that person a heretic, I would be afraid of like, Jesus, do I got an evil spirit a hold of me? Because they did that to Jesus. I don't want to do that. I don't want to crucify truth. So this needs to be done both in doctrine and in contract, con, uh, conduct, and apostolic people will do this. Okay, two more. Apostolic people know and display God's true nature. They know and display God's true nature. I didn't say they display it. I said they know it and they display it. Because you can't walk in something, you can't exemplify something unless you first have knowledge of it. For years, I, I didn't know God's nature, not like I know it now. And I was very confused about, you know, the wrath of God and the judgment of God and Old Testament and New Testament. It was just one big ball of like, God, who are you really? And, but when you, and if you want to get an idea of the nature of God, start in... Honestly, start in Acts. Some people think that the Gospels are New Testament. They're actually, I call them transitional, but technically they're Old Testament, but I don't have time to get into that right now. But start in Acts and read all the way through, I'll say, Jude, and you'll get a really good understanding of the nature of God. Then when you read Revelation, you read the Gospels, and you read all the Old Covenant, it will make more sense to you. A lot of times people try to get a hold of the Gospel through all of this like going back in the old covenant and trying to see Jesus through the types and shadows, that's cool after you get a revelation in your heart. But if you try to see it through that, you're going to try to take those types and shadows and make it Jesus. But once Jesus is here, you don't need the types and shadows anymore. Praise God. So we have to have this, this understanding and revelation of God's true nature. And that, that comes from having the gospel made alive on the inside of our hearts. And God's true nature is love. And if you read, if you read especially Genesis through Malachi, it won't feel very loving through most of it. And so then it's all of a sudden like Jesus shows up on the scene and you're like, whoa, this guy's from God, but he ain't operating like the God of the Old Testament. It's because he started to deal with people differently. But God's nature was always love. That's why he created man and put man in the garden and to have fellowship with man. So there was a way in the old covenant of dealing with man that was different than how he deals with man on this side of the cross. And this, the cross and how he deals with man on this side of the cross is the truest revealing revelation of God's true nature. Does he still hate sin and injustice? Yes, absolutely. 
but how he deals with it or dealt with it was done through the cross differently than it was through the law. And it's very important that we, that we have an understanding of that and we display that in our life. Amen? Last one here, and this is two-part. An apostolic people are both presence-centered and they are spirit-led. They're presence-centered and they are spirit-led. This, to me, is one of the, the biggest, and there's a balance to things, I get it, but one of the biggest detriments in the church today, and I have a track record of loving the church, so I'm, I'm, I believe I have the authority and the love to call things out when I see it, but what we see happening in the church today is not a presence-centered church. It's a sermon-centered church. It's a service-centered church. And this is why, and this is just where a lot of people are at. And in the modern-day church has trained people very, very poorly to be in the presence of God. I could be in service for hours and hours and hours. We make sure that we basically don't go longer than two hours because otherwise people just start leaving. And it's because service has become a God to people and not the presence Israel camped around the presence. Go and study it. They had the Ark of the, the, the Covenant, and they had um, the tabernacle that was there, and the Ark was placed in it. And it's very strategic how it was. The Lord told them to, to set up their camps. Every time they would move, they would set up the, the tabernacle, and they would set up their camps by tribes surrounding the, the tabernacle, which had the... Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God in the midst, they encircled it. And today, I just see a, a huge gap to where mostly what we do, what people do, and this is why there is uh, sticker shock. I don't know if that's not really the right, right term, but just shock when people come in and they're like, "You got? we used to worship longer. I just decided we'll just worship a little bit less on Sundays and but if the Lord wants to do something, I'm cool with that, and just we'll just do that. But you know, but then we'll have other ways of worshiping and stuff. Maybe we had the last night of worship, the first night of worship was not good. It was distracting, it was challenging. But we jumped out of the boat and did it, and we started to sink. But the second res, the the, the second uh, night of worship brought some resurrection, and it was awesome. We worshipped and prayed and honored God. It was so wonderful. But the church as a whole. They, it's like if they come in and it's like, oh, I've been uh, worshiping for 25 minutes here. Uh, 30, uh, what are we, uh, no, you haven't been worshiping. You've been watching the clock. The rest of, it, uh, the rest of us have been throwing our, our hands and our heart and everything towards the Lord. I mean, how can you put a time frame around being around the presence of God? How can you do that? How can anybody do that? A non-apostolic people would do that. Oh, yeah, but, uh, the church that I grew up in, uh, we, we, we worshiped for 15 minutes and then the pastor was 40 minutes and then we got let go. And it's like, and I'm sorry for being sarcastic. I shouldn't be like that. Forgive me, Jesus. I don't want to have a critical spirit at all. And I mean that. But come on, something's got to change. Something's got to be different than how it was. And, 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 I, and I get it. You know, I mean, people can only sit for so long, and that's why eventually we do come to a close. But it's, it's the attitude that's on the church that is not focused on presence. It's, it's focused on what are we going to have for lunch? And pre being a presence-centered church happens because of worship. It's, it's a discipline we develop. 
Because in heaven, we're going to be worshiping the whole time we're in heaven, which for most people, they're like, oh, that's a lot of discipline. It's going to be different because we're not going to have to deal with our natural bodies. And look, I get it. You know, we got to go to the bathroom. You got to, all the natural things that we got to do. We're not going to have to deal with that in heaven. But mostly what we're not going to have to deal with is a carnal mind. You want to know our biggest hindrance to worshiping God now? It's carnality. It's flesh. It's just us wanting to do what's comfortable to us and not doing what's important to God. It doesn't matter what's comfortable to us. What does God want? What does God desire? If you want to learn something powerful from the Old Testament and the children of Israel, he was, because you can read, and I'm I'm reading through Leviticus right now. It's riveting. Um, (laughs) I really have gotten some really good revelation out of it. Um, But (laughs) uh, when you look at the way that the Lord very specifically told them to do things, he had very specific ways that he wanted to be worshiped. Very specific ways that sacrifices were supposed to be made. Now, for somebody that's confused and they're trying to be a Jewish Christian, they mix this stuff together. Look, the Lord's not, care, he doesn't care about all that, but he cares about the heart behind it. And he was trying to say, look, this, this is how I want you to posture yourself. These are the things that I'm asking of you. And so now in the New Testament, we have the, the revelation of the reality of the presence of God here with us. And we get so worried about the clock. We get so worried about having our needs met. And again, I'm not being like, and practically like after so long, they have your kids over there and your kids are terrors. No, I'm just kidding. They're not, they're not, I'm I'm only kidding. But you know, they can only handle kids for so long. So there's all these practical things and I'm not being critical of how we do things. But what I am saying is we have to get back to a place of every day of our life of being present centered. We're, we're, We're centered on the presence of God. What are you saying, Lord? What are you doing, Lord? What do you want to speak to me? And Lord, if you don't want to speak anything, if you don't want to do anything, all my attention goes to you simply because you are worthy. So uh, an apostolic people is present-centered and they are spirit-led. And being spirit-led happens because of prayer. A spirit-led people are a praying people. Somebody who doesn't discipline their life to pray, and I I haven't reached my full potential, amen, but I'm a lot further than where I was, and I I set aside time uh, daily. If it's not on my calendar, then I at least have it in my mind where I say, all right, Lord, it's just me and you. God, I love you. I worship him. Sometimes they flow together, but I want to hear what you're saying to me, and really, I'm just kind of always on, like, Lord, what are you saying? Sometimes people are like, how do you come up with those analogies that you come up with? I was driving down the road and boom, the Spirit of God just spoke something to me. Or I was walking or jogging or reading or doing something and the Lord just began to speak. He was leading me through that. Why? I was in communication with him. And as Spirit-led people are a people of prayer, being led by the Spirit happens because we pray. You know, both of those things, uh, worshiping and prayer, both of those are disciplines. That's, that's, that's like a cuss word. I mean, <laughs> who wants to be disciplined? You know, my dad told me something uh, years ago. He said, if I could, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if I could go back um, and change something from my, from my younger man, I would be more disciplined. And he told me, he said, you need to be, you need to be disciplined. Well, I, I didn't probably take that word like I needed to for quite a while, and I still am growing in this. But you have to make a discipline out of what I'm going to worship you. It's not about feelings. It's not about feelings. Do you feel the Lord sometimes? Oh, yeah. And you know, sometimes you'll feel the Lord and it will propel you into it. 
You ever go into to a situation and you're like, oh, God, you're drawing me. Isn't it awesome when that happens? That's like 7% of the time for me. The rest is like, God, I'm here. I know you're here. And I'm going to intentionally worship you because you're worthy. And I'm going to pray to you and seek your face and seek what you have because I want to be led by your spirit. And that's the kind of people that the New Testament church was. And that's the kind of people that we be. And that's the kind of people that we're moving towards. Hallelujah. That's where victory comes in. That's where territory is taken. I'm not here for a move of Kent. I'm here for a move of the Spirit. And I have, if I have to push harder and longer and further, I don't mean in my message today. Don't worry, I'm coming to a close. <laughs> I mean in my walk with the Lord and what we're doing, I, will, I, won't, be, I won't be satisfied with the work done in this community or in any place that God has called us, Bonterre, here, anywhere, unless the whole region is on fire and being discipled for Jesus. I'm really excited about one, but my goal is everybody. And that's not to make everybody be like me, it's to make everybody be like Jesus. And the only way that that can happen is to, to bring people in, but it takes the people that are devoted, that are dedicated, that are, that are sold out. There just has to come to this place to where you're, you're sold out. You don't want to get to the end of your life. Nobody ever gets to the end of their, to their life and says, well, I wish I wouldn't have gone to church so much. Well, I wish I wouldn't have read my Bible so much. Well, I wish I wouldn't have uh, given so much money away to help the needy or to give into the gospel. Or Nobody says that. Only, only someone who's delusional at the end of their life would say that. That's the only way it could happen. But when people get to the end of their life, they say, I wish I would have been sold out more. I wish I would have done more. I had the potential to do more, to press in more. I wish that I would have done that. You ever see the movie Schindler's List? I'm not recommending it, all right? It's, they could have done a better job than whatever anyways. But the idea of the movie, don't go watch it, but the idea of the movie was incredible. And you had Mr. Schindler, right? He went, and, and I remember because he was wealthy, and he said, he said, and he was looking at hindsight, and you know, he ended up rescuing all these Jews during the Holocaust, and he said, and he still had some possessions and some things. He said, I could have done more. I could have gave more. I could have rescued more. And I drew from that a really strong thing of like, once the deal is passed, you can't go back and redo the deal again. Once today is gone, you can't redo it. Once tomorrow and next week and this week and this month and next month and next year and you get to the end of your life, you can't redo it. We don't live in regret, but we should live with a, an urgency that we have to make the very best of everything that we have. And the, the way we do that, I really believe, is staying centered on Jesus, being disciplined to just worship him, just in, not in a service, only in a service, but in our whole lifestyle. But then we're also totally devoted to the idea of being connected, not just the idea, but we are totally devoted to him in prayer saying, God, I have to be led by your spirit. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit Overcomers Church International dot com.